My brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Why? That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. Dr. John G. Mitchell often asked a question that is still inscribed on the library wall on the campus of Multnomah University. He asked it of every class and challenged every student with it. Don't you folks ever read your Bibles? It is quite evident that he did. Dr. Mitchell once forgot his Bible in his office when he arrived to teach a graduate-level class on the Minor Prophets. Without a pause, he quoted the scripture for the day, word for word, from memory. Dr. Mitchell knew his Bible. Many were blessed by his Bible teaching, and today we invite you to share in those blessings by listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. The truth in God's Word was, is, and always will be true. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me to abide. All I need for living is mine by just believing. Life begins at Calvary, life that never ends. The power of God is made manifest in the gospel. The gospel centers in Jesus Christ and Him crucified, His person and His work. Proclaiming Christ in the power of the Spirit of God rests a man's faith on God rather than on men, on power rather than on wisdom. Here is Dr. Mitchell, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Thank you. Good day, friends. Again, we come to you with studies in the epistle of Paul to the Corinthian church. And this morning we are, or today, we are in chapter 2. And I'd like to read those first five verses in chapter 2. And while you're finding the place, may I just urge upon you to drop me a wee line. How do I know how you're receiving the message? How do I know of the blessing of God upon this ministry? If you don't write me, and i just love to hear from you. Some of you folk are in trouble, in need, and we hope that we can help you, especially know something about the loveliness of Christ, the marvel of being in right relationship with the living God, and to know that God will never be satisfied with you or me until we stand in his presence conformed to the image of his Son. My, what a prospect, what a hope. And God has given to you and to me who are Christians the responsibility of communicating this wonderful message of hope to our generation. I can't reach the past generation nor the future generation, but I am responsible. God has put me in this generation to relate to them the wonders of his love, of his tenderness, of his compassion, of his grace. 
I would urge upon you, my friend, to know your Savior. Uh, read, for example, the gospel through Luke. Oh, I know you love John, the gospel through John, so do I. But read the gospel through Luke, you know, just full of his tenderness and compassion to needy men and women. That's the ones he wants to reach, those who are in need, those who are hungry for reality of a life in God. And it can be yours, it can be mine, thank God, in Christ Jesus. In fact, in our last lesson, we were dealing in chapter 1 with verse 30. For of him are you in Christ Jesus. What a place to be in Christ Jesus. What a relationship, what a union. His life becomes our life. His righteousness becomes our righteousness. I tell you, friend, there's no one like him. He's the only Savior. And God declares he's the only Savior. And God is perfectly satisfied with what his Son has done for you and me. He wants you to be satisfied too. And God proved his satisfaction by marking Jesus Christ out from everybody else by the resurrection from the dead. So you can have assurance. You can have peace of heart, peace of conscience in Christ Jesus. Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it wonderful that God should do a thing like this? We look at men and we see their frailty and their failures. We see their pride and their boasting. In fact, we're living in a day of humanistic philosophy when men have made a god of themselves. And it'll end in death and failure. Mark my words. Men left to themselves will, obliter will obliterate themselves. And in this day of grace, God is pleading with men to come to him. He's the only source of spiritual life. He's the only source of eternal life. And the marvelous thing is, anybody, anybody, I don't care who they are, by accepting the Savior, put in Christ. So I read my verse again. For of him are you in Christ Jesus, who in the wisdom of God has been made unto us righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. No flesh is going to glory in his presence. Indeed, we're going to say unto him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, to him be all the glory and all the praise forever. I say again with a song to hallelujah, what a savior. What do you know about him? Well, that's like what Paul says. In chapter two, we have the power of God manifested in the gospel. And you remember in chapter one, 23 and 24, we read that Christ was the power of God and the wisdom of God. The power of God at the cross in making provision for lost men to be saved. The wisdom of God in choosing the weak things, the base things, choosing sinners to be saints, choosing children of wrath to be the children of God. And how did it come to you? Let me read those first five verses. I, brethren... When I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. 
and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Why? That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Mark what he says in verse 1. I came to you, Corinthian church, down there at Corinth. Do you remember if you go back to the book of Acts chapter chapter 18? In chapter 17, he was with the philosophical Athenians, and he didn't make any impact upon them. In chapter 18, he went out to Corinth, visited Corinth, and he had a lot of people. But Paul wanted to get out of there. He saw he was so sick of the corruption, the moral corruption, even in their idolatry, even in their worship of their gods. There was nothing else but corruption, moral corruption. And he wanted to get out of there, and God said, You stay here. I've got much people in this city, in dissolute Corinth. I've got much people here. And he stayed there, you remember, over 18 months, proclaiming the gospel of the wonderful grace of God. There was a great many people transformed from sinners into saints. When I came to you, said he, I didn't come with excellency of speech, or of wisdom declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. You know, when Paul was here on earth in the first century, with the Romans as well as with the Greeks, oratory was quite common. They loved an orator. That's why the Corinthian church enjoyed Apollos, because he was a good speaker. But wasn't Paul a good speaker? Well, let me give you the testimony. They said his bodily presence was weak and his speech was contemptible. But, say they, his words were mighty and powerful. Uh, you know, that's an encouragement to us fellows. Paul says, they, my bodily presence was weak and my speech was contemptible. That's what the Corinthians said about him. But, say they, his words are mighty and powerful. Later on, you could say, when I come to these teachers among you, I'm not going to see about their oratory or their fine words of man's wisdom. I want to see the power of their words, power of their message. I didn't come to you with excellency of speech. He wasn't an orator. He didn't come in philosophical terms. He, do, he didn't try to show them how much he knew. May God give us some preachers like this, like Paul. He didn't come to see how much he knew. Do you remember in chapter 17 of Acts? Allow me to go back to that chapter again. Paul down at Athens at Mars Hill. He came and preached to these Epicureans and Stoic philosophers. They said, what will this babbler say? This picker up of scraps. He seemeth to be a set of forth of strange gods because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. I'll tell you, when Paul went down to the academies in Athens and stood before these philosophers of the day, he didn't try to preach philosophy to them. He didn't try to let them know he knew so much about their philosophies. No, he preached Jesus and the resurrection. Simple message of one who came, who lived a sinless life and died at the hands of his own people crucified is a cursed thing and cast out, not wanted. We will not have this man to reign over us. And God raised him from the dead and said, this is my son. 
He is the only Savior, for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. I'm quoting, by the way, uh, Acts 4.12 is what Peter said to the leaders of Israel. I, brethren, I didn't come to you with oratory. I didn't come in the wisdom of men, declaring the testimony of God. How often, I say it kindly, how often the gospel of Christ has been hidden in oratory, man's wisdom, man's philosophy. My, what a need today for a simple, clear testimony of the gospel of the grace of God. It's a rare thing. It's a rare thing. We don't have to get up there. We don't have to stand up there and, and try to, to please men and women. I didn't come to you, says Paul, to do that. I came to you not in excellence of speech, nor of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's it, the heart of it all. The message, the fundamental message. Remember in chapter 1, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. I'm not letting you forget that, am I? What is the fundamental message to give to the world? The person and work of Christ. When Paul went down to Corinth, that's all he preached about. Now, he could have preached Stoic philosophy and Epicurean philosophy and possibly some Socratic philosophy, maybe Plato, because Paul was a well, well-taught man. No, he just came with a simple story of Jesus, God's beloved Son. I came to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ. That's his person. He must be the center of your message. He is the center of the gospel of the grace of God. We talk about a person, not a philosophy, not what man can do. We talk about a wonderful person, God manifest in the flesh. When you come to the gospel through John, all his claims, he said, I'm El Shaddai, I'm El Elyon, the Most High God. As I've oftentimes said and I've repeated, there was never any question in heaven who Jesus is. There was never any question in hell who Jesus is. The demons knew who he was. Angels knew who he was. The tragedy is the place where they don't know him is on earth. They don't know who he is. They call him a teacher, a Jew who lived many, many years ago, lived ahead of his time and all this kind of stuff. God sent his son at exactly the right time into the human race to redeem man from sin and from judgment and death and hell. The person of Christ. Listen, friend, Christ must be the sander. The Lord is not going to play second fiddle to anybody, not even to any preacher. Wherever you find Jesus, it's always the sender. For example, he was born as a babe in Bethlehem in a stable. And in Matthew chapter 2, when the wise men came, where is he that is born king of the Jews? They came to Nazareth. Pardon me, they came to Bethlehem and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe Jesus. And they bowed down and worshiped Jesus. The babe was the center of attraction. They brought their gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. To who? To Mary? No. To Joseph? No. To Jesus. 
when he's a boy, 12 years of age, Luke chapter 2. He's 12 years of age. He's gone up to Jerusalem. Mary and Joseph take him to Jerusalem. He comes now as son unto the law. Now he's personally responsible to the law. Where do you find him? In the temple, confounding the darkness. He was the center of attraction. When John the Baptist came preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. One day Jesus came. And God said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He was the center of attraction, not John. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew 17, Luke chapter 9, Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration with Moses, the great lawgiver, with Elijah, the great prophet. And Peter was so filled with the joy of it all. He said, Lord, this is so wonderful. Let's make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elias. And while he yet spake these words, there came a voice out of the excellent glory saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Center of attraction. In John chapter 12, Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all unto me, signifying by what death he should die. And when our Savior was on that center cross, he was the center of attraction, not the two thieves, Jesus. And where is he now? He's on the throne of God. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, exalted to be a prince and a savior, to be Lord and Christ. He's the center of attraction. And when he returns to the earth to reign as Lord of lords and King of kings, he's going to be the center of attraction. My friend, he ought to be the center of attraction in your church, in your meeting place. As Christians, when we gather together, what do we gather for? To hear a preacher? Or do we gather to worship our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? He must be the center. Not some doctrine of him. And I don't misunderstand me. The person of Christ must be the center. Paul says, when I came to you, Corinthians, I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Not only the person of Christ, but the work of Christ. Risen and glorified. When you go to the book of Acts, what do you find? What do you find in the book of Acts? The theme of the early church. All 28 chapters of Acts, wherever you went, whether it's Peter before the crowd in Jerusalem in chapters 2 and 3, or when he stands in chapters 4 and 5 before the Sanhedrin, or whether it be Stephen before he is stoned in his message, you remember, before he was stoned, or whether Peter or Philip goes down to Samaria in chapter 8, when Paul is saved in chapter 9, when, Paul, when Peter goes down to the house of Cornelius in chapter 10, what's the theme? Jesus and the resurrection. Not only he died and was buried, but he was raised again from the dead by faith in this man. You have remission of sins. Then Paul went out to Antioch and for Antioch, he preached Jesus and the resurrection. He was persecuted from city to city, from city to city. When he stood before the Sanhedrin and before Israel, what was the great message? Jesus and the resurrection. When he stood before Felix, before Festus, before Herod, 
three great Roman governors. What was his message? Think you it's an incredible thing that God should raise the dead? I was opposed to him. I was a persecutor of the way. I put men, women, and children into jail. I'm going to stamp out the people of the way. I'm going to stamp out this name of Jesus. One day on his way to Damascus, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Who art thou, Lord? I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. See, friend, this was the great message of the early church. The great message, the foundational message, the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Allow me to quote again that verse from Romans 1.4. God marked Jesus Christ out from everybody else by the resurrection from the dead. And look at the power of the message in verses 3 to 5. Paul says, I was with you in weakness. I was with you in fear. I was with you in much trembling. And my, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. What for? What for? That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Mark that, please. How did he come? With trumpets. Huh? Oh, no. Delegation, madam. No, he came to dissolute Con and wanted to get out of there because of the moral corruption of the city. He wanted to get out. You scared, God said. I want you to stay here. I got much people. And he said, I was with you in fear, in weakness. I was with you in much trembling. And my speech was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. How was the message given? In the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm reminded of that wonderful verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5, when Paul says, Our gospel came not to you in word only, but in power, in the Holy Spirit, with much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And you followed me, and you followed the Savior, and you published his word, and you looked for his return. They fell in love with the Savior. In Thessalonica, it was only there three weeks, transformed men and women, three weeks. They were eagerly waiting for his Son from heaven, even Jesus, whom God raised from the dead, who delivered us from the coming wrath. I'm quoting Thessalonians chapter 1. Down at Corinth, same thing. I came to you in fear, in weakness, in much trembling. And my speech was not with enticing words. Remember that spiritual truth is never imparted by argument. He didn't argue with them. He preached a simple message, Jesus Christ and him crucified. My friend, it's the same message for today. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now you see, when Paul came in weakness and fear and much trembling, he didn't come with words of man's wisdom. He didn't make a big show of what he knew or didn't know. He came in the demonstration of the spirit and of power. Why? What was the purpose? That your faith 
should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. How about your faith, my friend? How about my faith? Are we standing before God because of some philosophy of men or some, or some religious rite or some moral teaching? No, we believe in one who was crucified on our behalf. And Paul preached the person and work of Christ, and he did it with weakness, in weakness and fear and trembling, that their faith may not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. God, give us testimonies today, witnesses today, not only preachers, but laymen, preachers today, who will stand for the word of God. Jesus Christ and him crucified, my friend, I trust that your faith in the Savior is not in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. May the Lord bless you today. And may Christ Jesus ever be the center, not only of your faith and your belief, but may be the center of your affection and devotion. And the Lord bless you now for his precious name's sake. Great is thy faithfulness. Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study today. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast. Life begins at town.